Welcome to the Spurs Up Show, home of the best Gamecocks content on the internet. The following is brought to you by our friends over at Prize Picks. Go download the Prize Picks app or go to prizepicks.com. And when you do, use the promo code TSUS to receive a 100% instant deposit match up to. $100. Price Picks is the simplest fantasy game on the market focused around prop total entries. You pick two to six players and you can win up to 10 times on any entry. Price Picks has no sharks, optimizers, or mass multi entry. It's literally just you against the projection. They also allow mixed sport entry. So, for example, you can take the over on LeBron, parlay with the under on Mahomes. They've got college sports, pro sports, literally anything and everything you can think of. They have got it over at Prize Picks. They also have a slick, easy to use mobile app, both on the App Store and Google Play. And they're rated 4.8 stars in the App Store with Rave. Review. So many fans and listeners of the Spurs Up Show have made tons of money with our friends at Prize Picks, and you should as well. So, again, go download the Prize Picks app or go to prizepicks.com. And when you do, use the promo code TSUS to receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. Be sure to check them out and tell them that Chris from the Spurs Up Show sent you. Let's get it! We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. our 2023 opponent preview series we look to charlotte north carolina and the season opener against the north carolina tar heels of the acc and who better to help us break them down than andrew jones of tar heel illustrated he, as he joins the show andrew 
appreciate you taking the time, my friend. It is a pleasure to have you on. So excited to chat. Absolutely. I appreciate you having me on, and I'm very excited to have this conversation with you. And I'm very excited about college football season. It's going to be here <laughs> quickly, and in some ways, you can't get here quick enough. Aren't we all? AJ, like we were talking about off-air, man, SEC Media Days about to begin, ACC Media Days in two weeks, and then, of course, the countdown to kickoff. It's already been on, but it gets real serious in just a couple of weeks. These teams will hit the field for fall camp. Let's look at North Carolina specifically. And before we look at this year's team, let's look back at last year. A team that went 9-5, and 6-2 and two in the ACC. They lost the Holiday Bowl to Oregon. But I think what most fans took away or a lot of fans took away is that four-game losing streak to end the 2022 season. It's also a season in which you have a player, your quarterback, Drake May, named the ACC Player of the Year. Just talk about the season that was for North Carolina in 2022 because obviously – it was one that started with a ton of promise and they won a lot of close games early, but faltered down the stretch. How do you view 2022 for UNC? Well, I, I think there's a way you can look at it. A, a couple of ways you can look at it. Number one, when they built the nine and one start, they did it by <clears throat> finding ways to win close games, which was an indication that there, as, as we got deeper in the season, that they, they didn't have a lot of room for error. So they were winning some games because they made fewer mistakes or some of the mistakes they made weren't as costly. They they scored touchdowns every once in a while on drives in which they would allow sacks. And they did allow a lot of sacks a lot late in the season. That, that issue became a bigger problem as the season went on. Uh, but but they were just able to get by. And there were some teams that they barely beat that weren't very good. They barely beat Georgia State. They barely beat Virginia Virginia's offense was anemic, and they were fairly productive against Carolina, at least from a point-scoring standpoint. So I don't think it was a 9-1 club that had people saying, wow, what a team. I think the wow factor was that they were resilient. They had very good leadership on the roster, and they were finding ways to win. Plus the wow factor was they had Drake May and usually Josh Downs when he was healthy, and that was a lethal combination. And Drake is so good that he was able to do enough to get them into the win, winner's circle in, those, in nine of those 10 games. The last four games, Mac Brown will tell you that after they beat Wake Forest in the road in a, in a really good game to clinch the Coastal Division, they're 9-1, that the team kind of a little human nature seeped in. They took foot off the pedal a little bit. Georgia Tech took advantage. It was a freak game where Josh Downs drops a touchdown pass in the end zone late. If he catches the ball – they win the game, but again, very little room for error, right? So maybe a drop earlier in the season would have led to a loss earlier in the season. And then the NC State game, they were just physically beaten. They had chances to win. They missed a couple field goals in that game, including an overtime that would have given them a win. Clemson just outclassed them. Uh, Mac will tell you that the game was a lot more even at the line of scrimmage than what the score says. And I think there were elements that might be a little bit true, but Clemson was simply a better football team and it showed. And then the Oregon game, I thought North Carolina played pretty well in a lot of areas, but again, a missed field goal late cost them. Missed field goals cost them two of those games, a drop touchdown pass by an NFL guy in another game. So that, to me, reflects what I said about the 9-1 start. They had very little room for error. They couldn't overcome missing a couple field goals against a good team like NC State. They couldn't overcome missing, uh, dropping a touchdown pass against a bad team like Georgia Tech at home. And I think nine and five ultimately was what they were. They just happened to bunch the wins up and then they happened to bunch the losses up. 
Now, AJ, you mentioned Mac Brown coming into his fifth year in his second stint, of course, as we all know, at North Carolina. This is his 15th year overall coaching at UNC. What would you say is the overall vibe or the feeling around Mac Brown? Um, you know, obviously, I think we all understand he's on the back nine of his coaching career. Um, again, the overall feelings around the UNC head coach going into his fifth year, how much longer do you think he has in Chapel Hill? Well, I think he's going to coach for a while as long as his health allows him to. And he's lost 35 pounds this offseason. So he's taking that very seriously. And in fact, we did a podcast we ran earlier today on his weight loss because part of it is accountability mm-hmm. in the program. He's, he's, how can I tell these kids that they have to follow this regiment and they have to run, they have to be in shape. And here I am out of shape like this. So I, I, I like that. I think that's a good thing. And, and it shows you how adaptable it's. 71 Mac Brown still is that's one of the reasons he survived as a successful head coach for so long but I, I'll, I'll answer your question about the vibe in three three ways the fans are either pessimistic or they're casually optimistic they they are focused on the, that last four games they're uber focused on that and, and I like to look at more of the big picture like I just outlined so I don't sense tremendous enthusiasm going into the season because there's sort of an expectation among North Carolina fans. Every time we get built up, we never reach that point. And I get that because they haven't. The program has bumped its head on the ceiling numerous different decades over the course of time, and they could never poke through. They're good enough to almost be there, but they could never break through. And I think the fans sort of have that, that beaten syndrome in some respects. Now the media since we're closer and have a little bit better idea on things, I think that there's more, um, there's a higher projection for what this team could achieve from the media, in part because Drake May is the real deal. And I think that the new offense that they're going to run under Chip Lindsey, it's not a significant departure from what they did under under Phil Longo, but it's going to be a little bit more run-oriented. Drake's going to take fewer hits. So I actually think it plays into the talent base a spread the ball around approach actually uh, it will work for this team and the offense, which actually wasn't as good as people thought a year ago. It was stagnant at times. It struggled at times. It sputtered and, and it wasn't a constant machine like it was in 2000, in 2020 when Sam Howe led them to the Orange Bowl. It wasn't that good. I think they expect it to be comparable to what it was in 2020 this year. A lot of people in the media. Then there's the program. I, there is tremendous optimism in the Keenan Football Center. And and I get this with off-the-record conversations with noteworthy people in that building. They think they have a very good team. They think that the kids they brought in in the portal are absolute fixes for some of the problems that they had. They brought in two analysts in the offseason, Clyde Christensen, whom everybody who follows football knows. He was coaching Tom Brady a year ago. Now he's working in that room with Drake May and, 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 uh, and Chip Lindsey. And then you have Ted Monacchino, who is a pass rush specialist who was with the Falcons and has coached a lot of uh, NFL All-Pros. He was brought in because they haven't generated a pass rush. They have not been able to do that. They Last year, they gave up 40 sacks and they registered 19. So they also brought in a new offensive line coach. He's a guy that was at Baylor for a long time. They had great offensive lines. So they were trying to fix a lot of these things that have consistently been an issue over the last few years. And I think that they've made a lot of progress in those areas. They think they've made a ton of progress. So there are three different viewpoints there. 
the, the staff believes that they can have a very, very good football team and do some significant things this year. The fans are like, yeah, I'll believe it when I see it. Us in the middle, I'm like, yeah, it can happen. But I'm also a little bit of the, I'll believe it when I can see it because I've covered this program in various forms for a long time and rarely have they exceeded expectations. Now, AJ, you mentioned the offense, and that's really where it starts for UNC, right? The new OC, Chip Lindsey, takes over the departed Phil Longo. You get your quarterback back, Drake May, one of college football's top quarterbacks. And like I mentioned earlier, the 2022 ACC Player of the Year. Uh, He loses his top two targets at wide receiver, but you do add Nate McCullum from Georgia Tech and Tez Walker of Kent State to boost the receiving corps out of the transfer portal. Uh, Kamari Morales leads a talented tight end group that I know UNC feels really good about. And then Elijah Green leads a stable of backs that, you know, from every preseason magazine I've seen, they say it's the deepest position group on the football team. And obviously one of the focuses, like you mentioned, they're looking to become just more physical at the point of attack. That includes the offensive rushing attack, three of five starters back up front, but there's a lot of experience in the offensive line group as well. So, when you look at UNC's offense, overall outlook, you expect them, it sounds like, to look the same as they did in Longo, and it sounds like they should be able to hit the ground running and just sort of pick up where they left off last year. I, I think they will because they're very talented up front and they've got some guys who can rack up numbers. I love the two receivers that came in. They, uh, Nate McCollum had 60 receptions in 11 games at Georgia Tech last year playing with three different starting quarterbacks none of whom are going to be on anybody's watch list for anything this year. So that says, and he, that says something about him. Tez Walker, uh, Georgia fans can attest to how good Tez Walker is. He put he had a huge game in Athens, I think scored the only first half touchdown against that defense in the month of September last year. So he's a really talented player. He's an NFL potential guy. The running back situation, it's a deep room, but it's not settled at all. And that's an issue. You've got to be settled at running back especially when you're going to run as much as they want to run this year, because you have to build that as you go through the season. You don't want to have five different guys running the ball. And right now they've got five guys. They're deep enough that they moved DJ Jones and a a veteran, but not super experienced. They moved him to the secondary. Uh, So they, they need to find two guys to step up and be those guys. Elijah Green was the fifth dude this time a year ago. But because of injuries, he ended up getting the job and played well enough that I think he still has it right now. But Omarion Hampton, as a true sophomore, was a big-time recruit. I think he's going to be in the mix. And George Petaway was rated about the same, a top 100, top 110 kid, uh, who's going to have an opportunity because they're going to throw the backs more out of the backfield. I think that's something that he can do. But the, the running backs need to get settled. If they're not settled, I don't think the offense is going to be as potent as it should be. They have to get that taken care of. And as far as the offensive line goes, let's remember, they have a lot of experience, but they've allowed 89 sacks the last two years. So some of these guys have allowed a lot of sacks. Mm-hmm. So experience is great, but experience that it performs is a lot better. And I think the jury is out big time on the offensive line because of those ugly numbers. They also haven't run the ball well in short yardage situations, which is why they constantly talk about non-negotiables as far as physicality and all those things go. So they have a lot of proving to do in the essentials of running the ball conventionally, running in short yard situations and protecting the quarterback. If they're pretty good and not great at those three things, then they will be a very prolific offense because they're going to hit on big strikes. May will find you if you're open. He doesn't throw many bad passes 
and they've got a trio of tight ends that are as good as anybody in the country. A couple of them will play in the NFL, uh, including Bryce Nesbitt, who's been on a lot of those early season tight end watch lists for the NFL draft next year. So I think they'll score a lot of points, but I don't I don't believe the offense is going to lose them games. When they lose games, it's going to be the other side of the ball for sure. AJ, real quick before we move to defense, people love to point at the last four games of last year and say, look, look at how Drake May played. I want to hear from you just how good is Drake May because everybody's talking about this dude is like, you know, could be the number one pick at quarterback. I mean, again, player of the year last year, but just how good is Drake May? Yeah, the last four games, a lot of people have time in the offseason to nitpick, and they are picking them those last four games. But and I'm not going to make excuses because I've got no dog in a fight here. I cover the program. Uh, I don't root for him or anything like that. But I do know that the offensive coordinator, Phil Longo, is very good friends with Luke Fickle. And when it became apparent that Fickle was going to leave Cincinnati and go to Wisconsin, there were some conversations that took place. And there are people that are very close to the situation, I won't name names, that, that believe that Longo kind of took his foot off the pedal as well. He kind of had one foot out the door and maybe the the planning wasn't as good. Maybe the communication with Drake wasn't as good. And I do think late in the year, they went to Josh Downs too much. They were a little bit too predictable and Drake was running too much and took a lot of hits. And I think that had an effect on him. So the plan this year under Chip Lindsay is to minimize the hits on Drake, throw the ball around, spread it around to different people. And one of the things that he's added is a couple of drops so instead of just getting the snap and, and looking and throwing, there are some drops that are being incorporated, some more traditional drops, which will actually help him prepare for the NFL. And that might change some of the routes that they run. That might change the way he sees some coverages. And so the expectation is that he's going to have a top pick in the draft type of season. And Max said that he said that when a bunch of NFL scouts came in for for pro day, a lot of them told him that he would have been the one pick this year if he was eligible. They just love him. They, he's got so much upside. He's a he's a, a football version of a gym rat. He's a lot of things Sam Howell was, but he's more talented. He's got a better everything across the board than Sam Howell, which is why Sam may have dropped some and which is why Drake likely won't drop some. So I think he's the real deal. I think he's the best quarterback they've ever had, but not like they put a lot of guys in the NFL in the past. So – um, I expect a big year from him. I expect him to be in the Heisman conversation as long as the defense is decent and they win a lot of games, which is which will ultimately be the determining factor on how the nation views him. Now, AJ, as you mentioned, we're we're nitpicking when it comes to Drake May because it wasn't Drake May that gave them problems last year. It was the defensive side of the football. Last in the ACC in points allowed and yards allowed a season ago. When you look at who's coming back this year, uh, Dedrick Gray and Power Eccles lead the def- defense on the linebacker position. Four starters return up front. But as you mentioned, I, and I think, too, experience is very overvalued in college football, like when it's not good experience, because you get four starters back, but that's from a group that ranked 128th in sacks and 129th in tackles for loss. So not a lot of production. Six players in the defensive back group into the transfer portal over this offseason. Uh, Armani Chapman from Virginia Tech and Elijah Huzzle from ETSU were added via the portal. So, obviously, they've kind of revamped that position. And DeAndre Boykins returns as the lone starter from last season in the secondary at the nickelback spot. So, I'll ask you this, AJ. When you look at the Tar Heels defense, again, I don't think it's a secret you're expecting the offense will be the strength of the football team. 
Can they improve on what they did a season ago? And I guess the question I should be asking, can they be any worse? Well, <clears throat> I, will, I will say this. And after it happened, Mac, after the Appalachian State game, and Max Monday presser, he's like, well, our, our stats are screwed up for the rest of the year. So they were, because that was a god-awful performance. They gave up six touchdowns and 40 points in the fourth quarter to a Sunbelt Conference team, a game that they had firmly in hand. And they had to, in Carolina, without a onside kick return for a touchdown by Bryson Nesbitt, maybe they don't even win that game, a game that they led by 20 going into the... We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Fourth quarter. So that skewed the numbers a little bit, but they were bad. They didn't get stops usually when they had to. They got a little bit better late. And what's interesting is some of those guys that left weren't playing late. And they ushered most of those guys out of the program. We're, we're in a we're in an everything is fair now period in college football where maybe eight years ago running kids out was a pretty gross thing to do. But now in NIL and portal era, they can leave at any time they want. Coaches feel a little bit more uh, comfortable just kind of nudging kids out, saying you're not going to play here. We're going to this kid's going to play over you, and it's a way to get kids to move on. I, I think that that happened in some respects at Carolina, and I do think they got better through the portal on defense. Elijah Huzzy was a fantastic player at East Tennessee State. I know it's FCS, but he had six interceptions in each of the last two years. And tracking the ball and getting the ball is something that if you do at that level, you can do at a lot of levels. The cornerbacks at North Carolina in the four years since Mac came back combined for eight interceptions. This kid had 12 in the last two years. So that's one of the reasons they brought him in. Get the ball, flip the field. If your defense can't stop people on third down and can't keep them from the end zone, one way to make up for some of that is to get some turnovers. Mm-hmm. And that could work to your advantage. If you're not going to, you're going to have a, a high missed tackle percentage and you're not going to get TFLs, you're not going to get sacks. If you can get a, a pick every once in a while, especially in a back and forth type game, give your offense more possession, so to speak, then you have a much better chance at winning games. Uh, I do think that at middle linebacker with Gray and Eccles, they have a chance to be really good. Gray could be a first-round pick. He would have been a second or third round last year. Uh, they're pretty strong at the jack position with Amari Gaynor, who came in from Florida State, and Kamen Rucker, who's an undersized kid who will play in the NFL because his position is going to be football player when he gets to a camp somewhere. Up front, they have a lot of talent. They've recruited very well there, but they haven't developed. Uh, there, There's a there's a meanness issue, a violence issue that that has been addressed. In fact, 
Ch- uh, Gene Chizik during spring practice, he used the word violent every time we talked. I've never heard a coach talk about violence so much to the media, but that's what they're stressing. Violence, short area quickness, and stay in your gap. Stay in your responsibility. If you don't trust your teammate and and you leave your assignment to try to help him, instead of one guy being out of place, two are out of place. And that's been a problem for them. So they have to trust one another. They have to have great gap uh, discipline. And they have to be more violent. They have to be quicker off the ball and be more violent. I think the jury is out to whether or not that they have made that improvement. I wrote a piece the other day saying that they have because they're telling me they have. I don't know because I haven't seen them. They believe they made a lot of progress in those areas. And I think that's the key to this team. If they have made significant progress in those areas, they have a chance to have a really good season. If they haven't made any or much progress, then I think that they're going to be looking at like an eight and four type year where if they go up against a more physical team like South Carolina, they'll find a way to lose late. I think that's what this that, that's that's the beat on this team. That's the book on them. It's got to be up front. They have to be a lot better. Otherwise, not a whole lot will change. Now, AJ, something that will be a factor most likely in week one because it's South kind of football we're talking about. Special teams. And I want to talk UNC special teams. They uh punter Ben Kiernan returns. He led the ACC at 46.8 yards per punt a season ago. There is a competition at place kicker between Noah Burnett and Cincinnati transfer Ryan Coe. And George Petaway handles the kickoff return duties in North Carolina in the punt game, was second in the ACC in 2022 in punt returns. Anything stand out to you when it comes to special teams? And I'm sure it's something that UNC, I would imagine, if not now, come game week, will put extra emphasis on because you know when you take on the Gamecocks and Beamer Ball, Pete Limbo, one of the best yeah. in the country. That's an area that you better yeah. make sure you're prepared. If not, they'll win that facet and most likely win the game. Yeah, you got the Pete Limbo and, and the Beamer connection there, no doubt about it. There is an emphasis put on special teams. And and I think the way that they approach it is you don't have to win a game because of the special teams, but, man, you better not lose a game because of special teams. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's sort of the way that they approach this. I think that an area – that has changed a lot with the portal and having a lot of, and having to play a lot of young players that is concerned to Mac and staff is that they're very young on special teams and they don't want to be young on special teams. There was a time when most freshmen didn't play and a lot of veterans and starters would be on special teams and coaches would say, look, if you want to play in the NFL, unless you're a star, you better also be able to play on special teams. I, I know that they still talk about that. They still like to do that. But they also want to be able to give guys some rest at times. Now, they say that you got to be a starter to be on special teams. I'm not so sure that that's the case anymore because of how young the team is. And and, and you you don't want your linebacker like Cedric Gray, who played a thousand snaps last year. You don't want him playing another seven or eight a game with full speed special team stuff. So you want to pull him from those things. I don't know. I, I think it's an it's an open-ended question that we're going to find out over time. Ryan Coe will, will be the kicker. I, I don't think they brought him in with the personality that he has to not be the guy. Uh, he's got a strong leg. He's pretty successful at Cincinnati, but he missed a kick in the spring game. And he came in because Burnett missed those kicks against NC State and, and Oregon. And, and and they didn't get a tremendous number of uh, touchbacks on kickoffs after they actually lost their kickoff specialist after the Notre Dame game, he hit the portal and he was getting touchbacks at about 78, 80% of the time. 
Ryan Coe has a higher percentage of touchbacks as well. So they don't want people returning the ball. They want everybody starting at the 25. And if you're going to be really young on your kickoff team, have a dude that kicks the ball into the end zone. And so those guys don't have to worry. Well, they don't have to worry, but they don't have to, you have to rely on them always fill in their lanes, always maintain their responsibilities and then being able to make plays. If you're having touchbacks, you don't have to worry as much about that. So uh, I think it'll be Co. Kiernan's pretty good. The return game used to be really good back in the day. I think right now they just want to make sure they don't turn the ball over and hand the thing over to Drake May and let him do his thing. AJ, UNC returns 13 starters, six on the offense, seven on the defense. Again, like you mentioned earlier, and I just want to point this out, you know, winning close games will yet again be a huge point of emphasis for North Carolina. They were 4-0 and in games decided by three points or fewer through the first 10 games. They were 0-3 in those games in their four-game skid to close yeah. the season. So, like you mentioned, just razor-thin margin for error. And as you look at this 2023 season, of course, opening up with that game in uh, against uh, South Carolina in Charlotte, we'll get into it in just a second. You got Appalachian stay in a rematch week, week two, which will be a lot of fun. Minnesota in the non-conference as well at Pittsburgh. You then get your bye week before you take on Syracuse. You get Miami, Virginia, at Georgia Tech, Campbell, Duke, at Clemson and at NC State to close out the season. So your thoughts, AJ, on the 2023 schedule and the way it shakes out for UNC this year? Well, I'm a guy, as a journalist, I want information. I want all the intel I can get. And I think when you jump into a season with the first four games they have before the break, we're going to learn a lot. Mm-hmm. If this, if they're not going to have a big season, we'll know when they come back from Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. So when, I, when I'm down there talking to the players – at Heinz Field or wherever they call that place now, after the Pittsburgh game, I'm going to be – I'm either asking them about, okay, you got a, you got an over date coming up, you guys have a chance to have a special season, something along those lines, or what needs fixing. Because they're going to learn an awful lot about themselves because App State's a quality team. Minnesota's a solid team. And going to Pitt is not – they're physical. They do a lot of the things that gives Carolina trouble. I know Carolina beat them last year, uh, and, and they've done pretty well against Pitt over the years. But – but the way Pitt is developing its program, they're getting more physical and they're a better program than they were five years ago. So I think they're a more difficult opponent for Carolina. So we'll know everything we need to know about them. And then they have a, they have this long stretch mm-hmm. after Pittsburgh where they have one home game from between September 24th, or excuse me, one road game between September 24th and when they go to uh, Clemson. Yeah, I yeah. believe that's that's the third week. Yeah. Uh, the only road game in that stretch is at Georgia Tech, October the twenty eighth. Yeah. The only other one, or of course, you close out the season, November eighteenth. Yeah. Game. So. Yeah, yeah. So that's almost two months with one road game. <laughs> so if they're four zero, <laughs> for the sake of discussion, or even three and one, but four zero, they have an opportunity to really make that Clemson game incredibly important. And that would be kind of fun because I'd love to see what this program can do in a situation like that. I think that that would be more interesting than the same old, same old, right? So will that middle part of the schedule is a period in which they have a chance to fatten up. Everybody says, oh, look out for Miami. Well, that's another I'll believe it when I see it program. Virginia has issues. Syracuse I don't think is very good. Look at how they closed last year. Um Campbell's Campbell. Georgia Tech, I think, is they're in a whirlwind situation still until they get their feet on on the ground up th- down there. So it, it's going to cut. If they get through those first four, it's going to come down to the last two. And Mac has complained 
about, oh, it's not fair. We got to go to Clemson State to close the season. I asked him a few about a month ago. I said, don't you think that's actually a positive? Because if you get through those first 10, just think about how huge and important and national going to Death Valley is not just for the team, but for Drake. If they're nine and one, 10 and 0, and I'm just throwing that out there for the sake of discussion. I'm not saying that they will be, but if they are, I mean, Drake May has a chance to win the Heisman those last two games because everybody that follows college football knows that going to NC State's not easy, especially when you're coming out of Clemson. So uh, I, I think it's I think it's a great schedule. Mm-hmm. We have a chance to learn so much about <clears throat> where this program is five years in to Max Era, where everybody on the roster, guys he brought in, it's his staff, it's all his direction. And uh, there won't be a whole lot of wondering anymore. We'll know exactly where North Carolina football is because Drake will leave. You got to capitalize on having a guy like that here. They've had Sam and now Drake. You got to capitalize on that. So I think this this season's important to capitalize as well. South Carolina, North Carolina in Charlotte. AJ, I want to ask you this because a lot in Gamecock Nation are labeling this as the most important game of the season. I don't necessarily agree, but it's certainly a tone setter. Is that the same feeling on the UNC side? There is no doubt about it. Because they can lose the game and still reach their goals. Staff will approach it that way. Media will somewhat look at it that way. Fans won't. They need to generate steam. Because I think that they're starting They're starting on a four-game losing streak. That's all people talk about those last four games. And you've got you South Carolina the with the way they finish. It's it's a tale of two kind of opposite finishes to 2022, to your point. Yeah, there there is. And there's also the uh, the memory of what South Carolina did to them in the bowl game a year and a half ago. And remember, Carolina was uh, – that 2015 was a really big year for Carolina. They won 11 straight games, but they, they opened up with South Carolina on Thursday night in Charlotte and screwed that one away. And so I, I don't think there's a lot of – excitement about playing the Gamecocks these days because I don't think Carolina fans are that optimistic. I know they beat them in, in Mac's first game back. Uh, they got a couple touchdowns in the fourth quarter to win that game. But I think that fans are, are nervous about this game. And I think they're nervous not just about this game, but what it might mean for the rest of the season. So I, I believe it's a fork in the road game. And, and I'm not a big fan of overplaying the meaning of things in sports because there's so much time for recovery. But I think given the fact that they lost those last four. I think given the fact that the fans are just kind of wait and see mode right now with a lot of pessimism and they got two home games coming up after that and they need full stadiums because those are both big games. I think it's vitally important they win that first game, especially if you want Drake to stay in a conversation. If they lose that first game and they don't score 30 points, Drake's done. And I think for this program, for what it's tried to do, uh, it's important to have a guy in a Heisman race to get that discussion, to brand yourself a little bit more. So I think it's an extremely important game. I, I agree with you, by the way. I don't think it's the most important game for South Carolina. You got a lot of other big fish to fry that come up and you can recover from that in your league. But North Carolina's a little harder to recover inside the ACC because it's not as good as the SEC. It's harder to change that narrative. South Carolina can lose to the Tar Heels and still change its narrative in league play. I don't think North Carolina would be able to do that unless it ran the table and won in Death Valley. And that would be <laughs> – I wouldn't expect that to happen, especially if they lose the opener. Now, A.J., you mentioned Drake May, and that's something I know we're also excited to see, the quarterback battle in that game, Spencer Rattler against Drake May. By the way, we know it's a night game in Charlotte, prime time. I mean, everything you could ask for. When I look at these two teams, 
you know, AJ, I, I feel like a lot of their question marks are very similar. I know that they finished 2022 a, a different way, but, you know, putting that behind us entering this season, both these teams have quarterbacks they feel really, really good about. Both of these teams have question marks on the line of scrimmage. And so both of these teams have new offensive coordinators. And so I, I feel like with those question marks, you know, I, I feel like it's so cliche to say, well, it just really comes down to which quarterback plays the best. But AJ, would you agree this really just does to me, it feels like a game where it's like whichever quarterback makes fewer mistakes, that's more than likely the team that's going to come away a victor. Could be, but I would say that South Carolina can win if Spencer Rattler is not great. I don't think North Carolina could win if Drake May is not great. So, and that's that's a lot of pressure on him. And until they show otherwise, that's sort of the way I'm going to look at a lot of these games, especially against App State and Minnesota and Pittsburgh. I think they could beat Syracuse and Virginia and some of those other teams uh, without him being great. I think Duke will be pretty good. Duke, throw Duke in that last year. I think Duke's going to be a good football team. There's a, there's a lot of good stuff going on in that program right now. But I, I do think in that opener, if Drake makes mistakes, if he throws a couple of picks, if he fumbles, and he's fumbled at times in the past, I don't know if they could survive that. He needs to be damn good. And you know, South Carolina didn't even have a quarterback two, two years ago and beat Carolina in the bowl game. He was once a quarterback, and you, the staff didn't prepare for any of that stuff, which is pretty awful. But uh, I do think with North Carolina's run defense, rather, if, if, if he's solid and South Carolina can run the ball well, that's a pretty good recipe right there. I think Drake's going to have to go 350 or above. Mm -hmm. Now, AJ, last thing before we get you out of here, by the way, appreciate you taking the time. You've been fantastic. Sure. You mentioned the outlook from the fan base, the pessimism, the sort of like waiting on the edge of their seats, right? Your outlook of this season opener in Charlotte, because objectively, I mean, it's got all the makings of a classic and truly one of the best games it of the does. weekend. But the way you look at this game from both sides and uh, just kind of what you're expecting in Charlotte, not asking for a prediction, but just yeah, yeah, yeah. the well, way the game I, plays out. I just think it's a wonderful opportunity for both programs because they're on ABC. Uh, it's prime time. I hope both fan bases show up. I've been really disappointed. In the three times that, that they played in Charlotte, 2015, the opener in 19, and then the bowl game, where neither fan base showed up. Yeah, yeah neither fan base showed up. I, and I know that South Carolina's got a great fan base. I know that, that Williams Bryce is bigger than Keenan. They get a much better home crowd than North Carolina does. I, there is an appetite for football at North Carolina. And this is the kind of game where they have to show that, but they haven't in the past, which is really weird. I don't understand that. They can't make – I know the people were concerned a couple of years ago about the heat and the sun, and there were some incidents in the stands where some people had some health issues. This is nighttime. Get the tailgate right down. Charlotte does a great job of opening up the area around the stadium, allowing a free-flowing pregame party atmosphere. People should take advantage of that, go to the game. I want to see a full house. I want to see 35,000 on one side, 35,000 on the other side. Put on a great show on national TV because that will resonate. It would be embarrassing for both programs if ESPN and ABC does these stadium pans and there's swaths of empty seats in the upper deck. It's going to look bad for both programs. So I think they can help each other with a great crowd and then put on a good show. So that's the way I look at it. I, I have, I'm not even anywhere close to making a prediction for this game. I, I think North Carolina's got a ways to go 
before I look at them as a team that's going to win this game. But I would imagine South Carolina, someone who covers South Carolina like you do, follows them closely, would probably feel the same way because we know the warts. When you get in our business, you know the warts of these teams so much. Sometimes it's hard to get over that. So I'll grind that out in about a month and a half or so. But right now, I just think it's a great opportunity. It's a great opportunity for Shane Beamer to be on exclusive national TV and show his program and differentiate himself from his dad some. And I think for Mac, being the legend, the Hall of Famer, to show people he still got it and his program is going upward, not it's not plateaued or anything like that, I think it's wonderful for both programs. And they can both achieve that in the same night. They really can by putting on a show, win or lose. I think that they can both benefit in some respects from that. Maybe South Carolina a little bit more than North Carolina. Because I do think there's more pressure on UNC to win this game and have a big year in Mac's fifth year because of the people that are concerned about his age and other schools recruit against him because and make a big point about his age, which I think is one of the reasons why he's lost the weight he has because they, they can't talk about that anymore. So that's kind of the way I view it from, what, what are we, six weeks out? About six weeks out, seven weeks out. AJ, last thing really quickly before I get you out of here. North Carolina right. is the favorite in the ball game. Does that surprise you? No, because Drake. I mean, people know Rattler, but I think the national narrative on Spencer Rattler is more negative than positive. We know why. You know, I don't have to explain why. I think the national narrative on Drake is pretty positive, but I also think that there's not a lot of believers because people, for some reason, are trying to compare him to Mitch Trubisky. Well, Mitch was pretty damn good, but Drake's a lot better. So I, I, that doesn't surprise me. I don't. That's for gambling, right? They just want people to fork out shekels on the uh, on the Gamecocks. I, I don't really, I don't follow lines that much. Sometimes I'm curious, but I don't follow them that much. And anybody that would this far out would pick one or the other team to win that game and put money on it. That, that's just, that's, that's Russian roulette with money right there. AJ, appreciate you taking the time. Let everybody know where they can find your work. TarHeelIllustrated.com. We're on the Rivals Network. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Heel Illustrated. And if any UNC fans are checking this out, go to our Facebook page. Trey Scott's doing a lot of fun stuff there. And our YouTube channel is Tar Heel Illustrated. We are prolific putting out lots of different topics, uh, videos, talking about the Tar Heels football, basketball, and recruiting. AJ, appreciate you taking the time, my friend. Looking forward to it in Charlotte. We'll do it again. Absolutely. Thank you. Appreciate it.